0: This episode of Channel Mind News is for information only. Please do your own research before making any investment decision or alternatively seek advice from a registered financial advisor. Sack the Copy your ship box. I got a okay, radio check. Yeah, radio's working fine. Yeah, copy your first bill. Yeah, copy, mate. A in the pit first. Yeah, stitch her up, then.
1: Thanks, mate. Yeah, right, Copy that.
0: Righto, g'day ladies and gents. Welcome to another episode of Channel Mine News, the go-to mining news for your ears. Matty Michael here. Hope you're enjoying the uh, forecast for the year. Go back and listen to the gold copper one. We did one on lithium and today we're getting into nickel, the big battery metal itself. We're going to talk what happened in 2022, bit of an outlook for 2023. I've got Steve Norrigard from Widgie Nickel come on to give it a bit of an insight about the nickel thematic and what Widgie Nickel is up to. We've got a bit to cover, so let's get into it. Now, nickel, what is nickel known for in the underground space? It's usually known for shit ground, seismic ground, hard going down there. So these are the things that don't get talked about in the stock market. They are your challenges with nickel. It's usually ho- hosted around ultramafic rocks that will, leave, will that are very poor and they squeeze and there's fault lines around in Cambalda, around the porphyry material. Porphyry is, I think, the waste rock there. That induces a lot of seismicity. Very can be very challenging, a lot of ground support, a lot of everything. But when the prices are high, you've got to find ways to make it work. The SERP, the, which is what they call the Ultra Mafic, when you are boring in the SERP, she's nice and bloody quick. That is one positive. You don't even have to uh, bog your windrows because you'll end up undercutting the walls. So there are positives to Nickel. Now, what happened in 2022? Well, Nickel started the year around US 21000 bucks a tonne, ended up sitting between $28,000, $30,000. 30, so I had, had an overall rise, but don't forget the big spike. In early March. Go have a look at that nickel chart. It bloody does not make sense. It went to over 100,000 bucks a ton. Now, the nickel market, effectively, it broke. It got a speeding ticket. First commodity price ever to do so. Now, what happened? For people that don't know, well, you had the Russia-Ukraine war, which sparked concern, which is still ongoing, which sparked concerns over global nickel supply because Russia, as of the 2020 exports, they export 11.2 percent of global nickel, third largest ni- producer of nickel and the largest exporter of refined nickel metal of class one nickel. And then you had sanctions going against Russia, so global nickel supply was a bit up in the air and everyone was getting nervous, so I think there was there was going to be a supply issue. But then you couple with that, there was a massive short squeeze, now we'll go into what that is. but. The Chinese tycoon Xiang Guanda, he is the owner-founder of Shinsheng Holding Group, the world's biggest producer of stainless steel, which 70% of nickel, global nickel, goes into stainless steel. He had a massive short bet saying that the nickel price was going to retrace from the COVID rally. I guess the short bet was a hedge against his massive nickel company, Shinsheng Holding Group. But what happened was once the nickel price started to lift... During the Russia-Ukraine war, and obviously there's other uh, companies' funds that have short positions on nickel, as the nickel price starts to rise, those people close those short positions out, which puts more pressure onto the buy side of the nickel and the price keeps going up. Best way to go understand a short squeeze, go watch the Netflix documentary, Eat the Rich, the GameStop saga. So the same thing happened. There was a video game retail store in America that was effectively going bankrupt, but and all the big funds were shorting it. But then all the retail investors started buying the stock, started lifting the share price up, and put all the pressures on the funds. And this share price just went absolutely madness. A so similar, same as the Bitcoin. Bitcoin bubble exactly the same go watch that that'll explain what a, a short squeeze is but essentially once the they start closing out the short positions it just pours more fuel on the fire and the price just exponentially goes up and that's what happened to the nickel price now as I said sin, sin Shang the biggest global producer of stainless steel so you'd be mad to think that'd want the nickel price to go down go down but as I said the big shot which was his nickname, Doesn't mind a good punt on the future, apparently, and he had plans to produce 850,000 tonnes of nickel in 2022, which is an increase of 40% based on their previous year. So, people thought that Xiang, well, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it, couldn't reach that level. He was confident, but the obvious consequence of that much nickel hitting the market, he believed would be a fall in the nickel price. That's what was the logic behind his punt. Now, Remember, there's commodity travers, traders over the world, all over the world that would have had short positions in nickel, whether as a hedge or further speculation. As that nickel price started to rise, these traders were getting margin calls where they had to front up more capital to keep their position opened. Some positions had to be closed where nickel had to be bought back, which then sends the price even higher. And that's the fuel on the fire. Apparently, uh Sin margin calls were three billion dollars that they had to put in or was supposed to put in. Now, the LME, the London Metal Exchange, that's where the commodity trading platform, you'd say, they cancelled the trading and they even reversed all the trades that happened on the 8th of March and essentially rewound the nickel price from up to its $80,000, $100,000 a ton back to the price the previous day of $48,000 a ton. So, Shang appeared to survive this slight issue little predicament he found himself in he wound back his short positions but there were reports in october just not long ago that he was wanting to add to the short positions again as a hedge against his company's nickel production but believe it or not the brokers around the world were a bit hesitant to work with him who would have thought so that was a that was the big nickel story for the year. now m a for the year you had IGO, they took over western areas, so IGO now control the Odysseus project, that was the old Cosmos. They also got the Forestonia assets, which is Flying Fox and Spotted Quail. They've only got about four years left, whereas Odysseus is in development. That's got a minimum life of 10 years, 20,000 tonne of nickel per annum, so their first production is scheduled for early this year. Now, it's not in their guidance, but, but they... Said it was scheduled for Q2 2023. So, you also had BHP the takeover of Oz Minerals that is in progress, primarily for the copper, but also they've got the nickel copper project West Musgrave, which is on the border of WA and T South Australia, right in that little corner there. That will feed BHP's Nickel West division. And there's a bit more M and A. Possibly heating up with Wailu going in with Mincor. We'll go, uh, we'll go into that later. So, the race nickel outlook for 2023. What can we expect? 2023 and beyond during the EV revolution. Well, the race will be on for production of the lower cost, lower capital nickel sulfide ores to feed the EV battery industry are specifically for the lithium ion batteries such as the NMC which is nickel manganese cobalt and the NCA which is nickel cobalt aluminium predominantly for the NMC. So now nickel bit of a nickel 101 we went over it with uh, Andy Clayton back in the oh geez back last year when we did the battery metals episode so if you want detailed nickel one hundred and one. Go back and have a listen to that. But brief overview: nickel. it's either comes as a sulfide deposit or a laterite deposit. Sulfides, they're yeah, they're the easy one. They're your free, like your free milling gold. So they're essentially crushed, sent through a concentrator, easy to process. As I said, same as free milling gold, same as hard rock spodumene for lithium. Whereas your laterite ores, they're similar to your in the sense of refractory gold and your lithium brine deposits, whereas they require massive amounts of capital to build the processing facilities, in this case like high-pressure acid leaching. They have high processing costs due to that requirement and inconveniently, the same as lithium, they are the most common. Hence why the world of supply and demand works, same as lithium brines being more prominent than hard rock spodumene. So even at the moment, 73% of the world's nickel production comes from laterite ores, 27% from sulfides. Now, over the third of the global production comes from Indonesia's nickel laterite. So one third of global nickel comes out of Indonesia. And then another 13% comes from Philippines laterite. So half the global nickel supply comes from laterite's in Indonesia and Philippines. And laterites are usually most prevalent around that equatorial belt, hence why they're in Indonesia and Philippines. Australia's got a couple of exceptions, such as the Marin Marin Arda area up north of north of Menzies, and you've also got Ravensthorpe down south. So and there's a couple in the northern hemisphere, but they they're mostly the laterite right ores, big deposits are around that equatorial belt. So there's heaps of growth going on in Indonesia for in this laterite space. Hasn't been as much growth in the sulphide space because laterite is just on a totally different scale in terms of the annual output of nickel it can provide. The laterites there, they feed the NPI demand, so that's nickel pig iron, and that is what's used for stainless steel produ- production, which in 2020 that accounted for 72% of total nickel consumption. Batteries for electric vehicles or battery, the battery industry only counted for 7% in 2020. I think we're getting into the thematic where everyone knows that is on the rise. And that is stainless steel is con- projected to continue to grow. Uh, RFC Ambrian's analysis of the future nickel demand shows that it's inspected to increase from 2.4 million ton, which was in 2020, up to between 3.8 and 4.8 million tonne by 2030. So effectively, possibly doubling global nickel supply, uh, sorry, global nickel demand by 2030. Batteries, they'll account for approximately 26% of nickel demand by 2030. So as I said, they were 7% in 2020, 26% by 2030. And Coupled with the fact that stainless steel demand will increase as well, so there is going to be a lot of, a lot more nickel being required throughout the world. As I said, there's massive growth in the Indonesian nickel laterites. That's going to be the where the, most of it is going to come from to feed the, uh, this increased nickel demand. Now, prior to March 2021, if you asked can nickel laterites feed the battery demand, the answer was no. Because nickel was split into, or it is still split, into class 1 nickel, being the higher grade sulfide nickel that's used for your batteries and your alloys. Then you've got class 2 nickel, that is your laterites. And that is used to create the nickel pig iron, which then is used to make stainless steel. Now, all the growth in global nickel production would come from Class 2 ladder rights, and it was expected that this would go into surplus and sulphides would be in a deficit. But in March 2021, now he's coming back to the fore here, the short seller himself, old Xiang from Shinshang Holdings, they announced plans to convert nickel pig iron into a nickel mat, M-A-T-T-E, not a just a, not a floor mat, a nickel mat, which then can be further refined to produce class one nickel for battery grade chemicals. So I think that nickel mat's about gets refined to become about 80% nickel and then it's further that is further refined for class one nickel. Now there there's the issue with this is even though it can be done, a lot more energy goes into it and a lot more cost. I think I read somewhere it was about Instead of converting the class two nickel into nickel pig iron and converting it into the nickel mat, that's an extra thousand bucks a ton. Then the next process of converting that mat into the battery grade or the nickel sulfate, that's another two thousand dollars a ton. So three thousand bucks a ton is getting off the total nickel price, which is twenty eight thousand dollars a ton at the moment. Three thousand ton is getting lost just in that extra conversion of converting the laterite into a battery grade nickel. So, something to consider there. Now, I thought I'd get one of our local managing directors to give a bit of insight into where they think nickel's coming. So, I've got with me Steve Noragard, managing director of Widgie Nickel. Now, Steve, uh, mate, you're right at the ground floor with all this. How do you see demand for the high-grade nickel sulfides like the projects you are exploring at the moment? How attractive are investments are they for 2023?
1: Well, the, the good thing is the nickel price is very robust right at the moment. Uh, I think nickel is about twenty seven thousand US and exchange rate in from a is favourable. So uh, nearly forty thousand Aussie a ton. So it's a good nickel price, um, and uh, we're very fortunate that we've got a nickel sulphide resource because sulphide is what uh, where the real demand is. Um, Batteries uh, can basically take feedstock from both uh, nickel laterite sources and nickel sulfide sources, but uh, key markets, uh, being North America and in Europe, are very, very keen to ensure that low carbon nickel is used in the batteries in light vehicles, and uh, low carbon nickel comes from nickel sulfide deposits. So... I think the the outlook for uh, nickel sulfide in particular is very very strong and it's probably hasn't really reached the the high points that I think it will see in the foreseeable in the current future I think uh, nickel's still got a fair way to go and the the real demand will come in probably another two to three years so I'm uh, feeling very very bullish for the nickel sulfide game
0: so do, do you see the because there was comments in the research notes about the Class 2 nickel with the production of nickel matte to be then used in EV batteries and some of that Class 2 nickel flowing into the, the EV battery scene. So, do you see that not being as much of a possibility with the fact that you mentioned about the carbon element?
1: Yeah, look, the, the reality is that if uh, you, we, we've got a, a, a battery revolution that's uh, happening right at the moment, the amount of nickel sulfide uh, is insufficient. If we were exclusively supplying the battery market, um, then the nickel sulfide's not big. The nickel sulfide market's not big enough. So there is a portion of uh, EVs, predominantly those uh, existing in uh, Asia, that are um, have batteries in them that has nickel that's come from uh, nickel laterites. So There's no way in the wide world the nickel sulfide uh, market could be able to satisfy that demand exclusively. So um, what we see is this new uh, supply coming on through in Indonesia is very much geared towards uh, the end users in Asia, but um, by virtue of legislation and such like in North America and in Europe, uh, they're adamant that it's it's counterintuitive to have a, a high carbon nickel go into a battery that's supposed to uh, reduce the amount of carbon. So uh, they see uh, the world a little bit differently and uh, probably to ensure that we end up with a net positive, positive outcome from the perspective of carbon generation.
0: Yeah, cheers for that, Steve. Much appreciated, mate. We'll hear from you later regarding what Widgie's up to. Good, good point there on the fact of We can't be doing a high carbon intensity process to create a lower carbon world. It's kind of not really working and it's offsetting each other. So good point there made by Steve. Now, 2023 risks for nickel. What are the risks? Well, I think we can see Indonesia as a risk. God, you'd hope that there's no political unrest or anything over there that's going to impact the mining operations with 75% of nickel anticipated to be coming out of Indonesia. So Indonesia is a massive a massive risk, though I think it's a bit safer than Russia, just based on based on history. Though a lot of the anticipated production is dependent on Indonesia expanding their current laterite operations and commencing new ones. I won't go into all the ones that happen, and there's laterite operations and smelters everywhere, but will it all come on time? And will the refining capability of Xinjiang Holdings to convert the Class 2 laterites into Class 1 battery grades, will that all happen? Nickel laterites have been apparently renowned for not delivering production rates, not delivering time frames due to the complexity of the processing. So that is a bit of a high risk. And as we mentioned, there is that high cost of converting the nickel laterites into the battery grade nickel sulfate. So will that become an issue with that uh, increased cost, making it feasible to create all these batteries? Will that drive the nickel, the price for nickel sulfide demand up to get more of it to convert it easier? It's all in the hands of the gods. Obviously way more profitable to be running a nickel sulphide project. Now for the additional 20% of nickel that will be required to feed the battery industry. Now that is dependent on the NMC and NCA, but primarily NMC, nickel manganese cobalt batteries being as dominant as anticipated. You've also got the lithium iron phosphate batteries, that's the LFP will they take over a bit more market share in the battery area? Because they are a cheaper alternative than the NMC batteries. That'd be actually a negative for nickel demand. So that's up in the air, which uh, how much uptake there is of the lithium ion phosphate batteries compared to the NMC batteries and the NCA ones, but primarily the NMC. So what's happening in the Aussie nickel space? Who's going to be the big players for 2023 and onwards? BHP. They're going to be the biggest nickel player in Australia. They've currently got the Leinster and Mount Keith operations. Leinster, the big underground. Speaking of shitloads of ground support and shit ground and seismicity, that is the place for it. You've got they've got Mount Keith, massive open pit north of uh Leinster. They produced, as nickel west, they produced 76,000 ton of nickel in FY 2022 They've got the also the Honeymoon Well Project in development. That'll be apparently 40,000 tonne of nickel a year. I couldn't find any article saying if that's happening or going ahead, you know what BHP are like with trying to keep everything to themselves. So yeah, that Honeymoon Well Project, 40,000 tonne of nickel a year. They'll now have the Oz Minerals West Musgrave Project in their portfolio. That is anticipated to be 26,000 tonne of nickel a year. So that puts them up near... Based on all those rates, 140,000 tonne of nickel in Australia. They've also got a minority stake in the Kabanga, or Kabanja, or Kabanga. Oh, we'll go with Kabanga, that sounds easier. Kabanga Nickel Project in Tanzania. That's anticipated to pump out also 40,000 tonne of nickel a year. They're all sulfide projects too, so they've got that in their favour. Now you've also got igr independence group uh they as i said took over western areas they first had the nova project nova produced 26,000 tonnes ton of nickel for fy 2022 their guidance is for 34 and a half to 39 and a half thousand tons of nickel to come from nova and forestonia as well which is a spotted quoll and flying fox odysseus wasn't included in that IGO guidance it's anticipated Odysseus is going to produce around 14,000 tonne of nickel per annum now onto the laterites. you've got Glencore's Murren Murren that's been in operation for a while that's a big nickel laterite project that produces around in Western Australia that produces 33,000 tonne of uh, class 2 nickel a year it's got another 20 year mine life you've also got the Toronto listed first quantum they restarted the Ravensthorpe nickel laterite project in southern WA. As I said, further away from the equator, but it does still host nickel laterites. 2020, uh, they pump out 30,000 tonne of nickel a year. That's got a 30-year mine life. So, as I said, big, big, massive open pits be going for bloody years. They've already got the capital sunk in there, so they're cheering now. Now you've got uh, the smaller players, another more sulfides, nickel, uh, sorry, Mincor. Mincor, they're around. Got all the Cambalder operations. Cassini, they're going back into the long, long Victor. They call it Cambalda North. They're extending down the bottom of that to the, I think it's the Durkin ore body out into fresh ground. Uh, did a bit of piece on that oh, a few couple of weeks ago about there when they did the capital raise. Go over listen to that if you want a bit more info on uh, what Mincor are up to. You've got Panoramic. They've got the savannah mine So sorry mincor their guidance is eight to ten thousand ton of nickel a year dfs says their operations are going to be ramping up to sixteen ton a year by fy24 you've got panoramic resources they've got the savannah nickel mine that's going to average uh 8.8 thousand 8, tons for the first 12 years that's uh, been restarted poseidon nickel they're eyeing a restart of the black swan mine that's got existing processing infrastructure, good return on investment there because they've got the infrastructure already there. That's going to anticipate to pump out eight thousand tons of nickel for the first four for four years. Then you've got the Centaurus Jaguar nickel mine over in Brazil. They're planning to pump out twenty thousand tons. They're listed on the ASX. They're going to pump out twenty thousand tonnes for a thirteen year mine life. Massive open pit, more underground. Uh, opportunities later on we're going to give a bit of a talk about them uh, you've got and then as i said we talked to steve norregard you have got Widgie nickel they've got some good exploration programs going on around widgy moother just south of cambouda around uh widgy south is their main area but they've got a operation that's going to come online this year a bit of a snatch and grab half a million ton at 1.9 percent the armstrong mine then that's going to generate circa 67 to 69 million free cash flow, but that was at 22,000 bucks a ton and 63 US cents. So I think the Aussie nickel price is a lot higher now, so that's going to be a bit more than that. Steve, while we had him on the line, thought he'd give us a bit of context on what's happening with Widgie Nickel, with Armstrong and their exploration. Let's hear from it. Now, a bit of updates on what Widgie's got going on. You've been announcing mostly lithium results lately, but we'll get back to uh, the the founding uh, element that you were, Widgie Nickel. Uh, Give us an update on what's going on in the exploration front.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Look, we we are are a company that's now developing a second uh, commodity aspect to it, but uh, we we remain true to our uh, original target, which was um, to focus on the nickel and uh, get ourselves in a position where we can recommence production from uh, the Man Edwards area. And um, our Armstrong project, uh, we've been very, very busy over the last 12 months. Uh, we've uh, completed an infill drilling program, uh, completed a scoping study, uh, we've completed a whole heap of geotechnical work and um, as we sit here right at the moment, we're on the home straight with regards to doing uh, an extensive uh, metallurgical assessment of the project. Um, that will see us in you know, the not too far distant future, hopefully being able to secure a counterparty so we can actually start mining there and process our ore, uh, hopefully with BHP and Cambelda. And... Um, Activity on the ground has been uh, ongoing. Uh, we, re- we commenced dewatering of the open pit at Armstrong uh, mid-December and uh, I'm glad to say that the water level is probably about four metres down now. Um, all the sunshine we've had has probably been aiding that uh, process. So um, there's, there's lots of positives. Um, nickel price is a lot higher than what it was when we uh, published the results from a scoping study. So our little Armstrong project, which represents only a small portion of our overall resource, about 6 to 7%, um, is destined to be a handsome little earner for the organisation. Uh, so we're pushing forward with that, and I'd like to think that we're in a position where uh, potentially we can recommence mining uh, at Armstrong uh, prior to the end of the financial year before the end of June of this uh, year.
0: So how, how, I guess, important and relaxing it is to know that you've got An operation where you're going to generate circa 60 million free cash flow that can, you know, fund the future exploration for this Mount Edwards project, which is going to be, I guess, the big kicker, not the Armstrong, the actual Mount Edwards will be the big kicker in nickel tons coming out in the future.
1: Sure, Maddie. Well, well, firstly, it makes a little bit more than 60 million at today's nickel price, which is a good thing. Um, It's very much in line with our strategy that we wanted to get one uh, operation off and going. Uh, the free cash flow that generates, we can reinvest and uh, continue to drill the uh, 11 or 12 other resources that we've got and keep the exploration range going. Um, I'm super excited by the prospects of uh, what we're seeing in our Widgie South area, which uh, is made up of Gillett, uh, Widgie 3 and uh, Widgie Townside. I th- that will be our second mining project. Um I'm, it's got about seventy to eighty thousand tons worth of contained nickel rod at the moment between those three separate separate resources and I think uh with ongoing exploration they continue to grow. Um that the, the big unknown in all of that is whether we determine that uh we continue down the road road of toll treating our ore elsewhere, or is there a compelling reason for us to look at a standalone processing facility um, where we're able to maximise the returns in having a a processing plant that is very much custom built to suit the Ouija ores uh, and gives us the capacity to ensure that we get paid full value for all of the commodities that uh, make up uh, our resources vis-a-vis. We do have um, platinum, palladium, cobalt and gold in parts in uh, our nickel ore, so uh, we've got to try to maximise the value from our resource. Um, is that the most appropriate way? Well, the numbers will speak for themselves once we complete our necessary uh, studies into that.
0: So what off oh, back of the envelope, how much percentage do you reckon you give away off the bottom line when you're toll trading compared to if you're running it through a mill that you 100% own?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, as much as I'd like to be able to put a number on that, it, it may well not be uh, limited to just the the headline nickel numbers, but it's uh, the byproducts. Um, some customers have got the capacity of extracting full value of all of these byproducts. Uh, others, just by virtue of the processes that they go through, they, they can't maximise that value. So, you know, when you look at every commodity, uh, each uh, potential customer um, can pay you at, at a different rate. So, you know. Right at the moment, our discussions are very much geared towards talking with one customer. If we had our own processing facility, um, we've got the capacity to talk to a whole raft of different different customers. And with more potential buyers, um, you can get better payable terms, hopefully.
0: Oh, too easy, mate. cheers eight for the, uh, the insight. Really appreciate it, mate, and best of luck for 2023.
1: Excellent. Okay, thanks very much, mate, and have a good day.
0: Good on you, Steve. There's one to keep an eye out for, W-I-N, the ticker. They're also hitting a bit of lithium down that way as well, which is uh, great for this little thematic. So what else is going on in the Aussie sense? Let's talk old Twiggy, Wailoo, Cambalda, Mincor. There's a bit going on there. So Twiggy's Wailoo Metals, the mining investment arm of Tatarang, they now own 19.9% of Mincor after they backed their $60 million capital raise. As I said, that was in an episode a couple of weeks ago. 9th of December to be precise. Go go back and have a listen. Now, a forest-funded takeover of Mincor. This could apparently create headaches for BHP's reborn Nickel West Division because apparently the lower impurity Mincor ore is seen to be very important for the BHP nickel blend. Why would this be a headache? Because Wilu is and IGO are in talks of possibly doing a joint venture construction of a nickel sulfate plant. So you'd have all the IGO, all going to this, the the Nova, the Forestonia, Odysseus, that'd be going to that plant, and you'd also take the mincore do- dirt away from the BHP's Cambalda concentrator, and they'd process it through the IGA-Wailoo joint venture. And as I said, the implications of the lower impu- impurity mink dirt for the BHP nickel blend would create some headaches. And then you've obviously got West Musgrave coming online for BHP. So it's a bit of action yet to unfold in the nickel cambalda space. Down that way as well, you've got another one to watch out for, Lunnon Metals, LM8. So they've got a, the ex-Western Mine and nickel deposits. They've got the Silver Lake and the Fisher, Mines right in Camp Outer. they've got a heavy exploration program to go uh, back around those areas. And they've also bought the nickel rights off Goldfields for the Baker deposits. Uh, so that's on the Foster and Baker deposits on the other side of the Salt Lake. So that's that was the nickel rights from Goldfields St Ives operations. That's 25 kilometres to BHP's nickel concentrated. They've got a mineral resource estimate of two and a half million tonne at 3.1% nearly 80,000 tonne of nickel. So keep an eye out for LM8 as well. And especially when they're do, uh, doing a bit more exploration right in the guts of that Cambada area. Now, another project in the scoping study phase, Heading towards construction in 2024 and production in 2025 is the Jaguar mine in Brazil for Centaurus. It were listed on the ASX. So they acquired that project in 2019. They've more than doubled the global resource. there to 108 million ton at 0.87% nickel for 939,000 ton of nickel. Uh, they're further expanding the resource mid-2023 and they're appearing likely to head into the 1 million contained nickel club, the exclusive club of 1 million tonne of nickel. Geez, I wouldn't mind being in that club. They've done a scope and study, 2.7 million tonne operation, 20,000 tonne of nickel sulfate per annum over an initial 13 year mine life. So that's initial, there's a lot of, there's a open at depth to go underground. Detailed feasibility study scheduled for mid 2023, expected to be more positive, As a better nickel price, uh, better conditions in that department. This scope and study come back at $2.58 billion NPV with 102% IRR, 102%. That is sensational return on investment. So she's a big open pit, three kilometres by one kilometres. Obviously going to be a good cash cow. Another one of the top investments by Precision Funds. They like Centaurus. Now, last but not least, the good old Aussie nickel laterites. The question is, how high would the nickel price have to be, or how much demand in nickel would there have to be to attract some capital to, into Australia to build some nickel laterite projects? Now, another guest we've had on the show before, Andrew Penkethman from R Day Resources. So they've got the Kalgoorlie nickel project, North Menzies. That's been given major project status by the federal government. It's the largest nickel resource in Australia, 830 million ton at 0.7% nickel for nearly 6 million tons of contained nickel. Massive project. You've got Nico resources, Winganella, nickel cobalt projects. That's a spin-out from Metals X. That's 120 Ks from Oz Minerals, soon-to-be BHP West Musgrove. They've got a reserve of 168 million tonne at 0.93% nickel with 0.87% cobalt as well. And that's actually a resource conversion of 92%. So that's a high quality resource. As we talked with Shane McClay the other week, sort of 60 to 70% would be your mid-range conversion of resource to reserve. This is at 92%. So that project capex is $2.9 billion. So as we said, laterites love a good bit of capital and that will create 1,250 construction jobs. Now that's a low cost, low life operation producing 40,000 tonnes of nickel and 3,000 tonnes of cobalt per year for 40 years based on the current reserve only. So three to four year payback, MP3 of three billion at the base case, six billion bucks at the spot price at the moment, but you need $2.9 billion of capital. Is that going to come in. Another one, GME Resources, so they're next to Murren Murren, so they're made in Nye West ore reserve. Estimate of 65 million tonne at 0.9% nickel for 592,000 tonne of contained nickel. Same thing, conventional open pit, very low strip ratio of two to one. Again, waiting on capital. So there are a few of the laterite projects looking for a bit of dosh. Uh, Look, if you know anyone, just pass it on and put life of mine in the promo code if you don't mind. That's nickel for you. Jeez, that went bloody longer than I thought it was going. Maybe I went into a bit too much uh, detail there, but hey, if I say something wrong or miss something, I'll get crucified for it for it forever. So, yeah, there you go. I think that's most of the commodities covered. I want to get. I want to do a rare earth one. It's a bit of a grey area for me. I'm chasing someone, a guru on rare earths. could provide a bit of insight into a rare earth outlook if anyone knows anyone uh maddie Horgan, i think you had someone for me don't forget to forward me on right so give life of mine potty a follow on twitter pretty please share these episodes on linkedin give everyone tell everyone you know to bloody subscribe get in and i'm getting a newsletter sorted so i can email out each day a bit of uh you know a bit of funny social media stuff attached with the new episodes so reminds everyone that the episode is out that is on the to-do list so i'll steal all your emails off linkedin right everyone stay safe out there hope the share prices go up for everyone or hope if you shorted them i hope they go down for you stay safe out there